We began to speak uh, some weeks ago about uh, that event, the great white throne judgment of the Lord Jesus. And as we spoke about it, uh, we saw that uh, uh, the very heaven and earth will actually stand before him at the great white throne judgment and be removed entirely, not remodeled, not renovated, entirely removed, such that uh, the Bible says metaphorically no place was found for them. Why? It, well, because the Lord is going to refashion things, uh, the present earth and heaven having been corrupted and defiled, really, by our own sin, the ultimate environmental pollution. And so in that day, the Lord will uh, take care of the present heavens and earth and replace it with new heavens and earth, which, Lord willing, we will actually talk about and describe in more detail in weeks to come. But it isn't only the physical universe that will stand before the one seated on the great white throne. I'm sure you know this. People will be summoned to appear before him as well. In fact, we can read about this in the scriptures. And so I call your attention to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And it says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So if you look carefully at what was said by the Apostle John, you find out there are two categories of books. One category are books, and the other is a book. We don't have to wonder about the singular book. It is described as the book of life. But the others, the group of books, plural, we don't know with certainty what they represent. Uh, let me just offer this, and of course you are not obligated to accept anything that just doesn't sit right with you. But I think this is a pretty good a stab at it. I think these books contain a very complete and perfect record of the deeds of humankind. And I'll tell you why I think this. In the day in which this was written, it was very common practice for municipalities, townships, and cities to actually have books like this, in which were inscribed both the names and misdeeds of criminals in the municipality. A very careful record of transgressions and criminal behavior was recorded in these books. And I don't know if you know this, but an unrepentant, unsaved, non-believer who has refused the pardon freely offered by the Lord Jesus Christ will stand before the great white throne and be looked upon by holy God as if he was a criminal. Because what he or she has committed are not crimes so much against humanity, actually they're crimes against divinity. They are um, an assault on God's holy character. He's been treated as if he is unholy. He's been diminished in the eyes of the unholy one. And so when he stands before God, there will be a record, I think, in these books 
of the misdeeds of this particular one and the basis upon which he will be condemned and found guilty as charged are a record of his own deeds as carefully recorded in these books. And and so it says, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Well, ancient municipalities not only had books like this, they also had a book in which were inscribed not the names of uh, those who were uh, harmful to the society. Rather, it recorded the names of those who were members of the community in good standing. These were upstanding citizens. They did good. They were contributing members of society. And so their names were also made a record of in a separate book. And so there was quite a dramatic distinction between those who were considered to be social criminals and those who were considered to be uh, citizens of the community in good standing. You know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king above all kings, then your citizenship is in heaven. That makes you a member in good standing. That means your name is not inscribed in the books, which will be used to condemn criminals, but rather your book, your name has been inscribed, inscribed in what is described as the book of life. Uh, in Jewish tradition, we know about these. And so at the end of certain holidays, we actually wish to one another this little epithet. May your name be inscribed in the book of life. And so if you have a personal relationship with the giver of life, your name is in fact inscribed in the book of life. Now, others who have rejected the free gift of salvation which has been offered by the Lord Jesus, will be judged according, it says, to their own deeds. Now, you don't want that, and I don't want that. You see, because all of us fall far short of the holiness of God. Our deeds don't match up to his perfectly holy standards. And so these who reject the merits of Christ and would rather stand according to their own deeds will fall short. And so their names are not inscribed in the book of life. And the verse we read said, it is in fact the great and small who stand before. They'll be summoned. It's an unavoidable appointment. Great and small, meaning position, uh, accumulated possessions, uh, pedigree, political party affiliation. None of those things will be the basis of immunity granted to those who are summoned, great and small, to appear before the one who sits on the great white throne and there they will be judged as the scripture says according to their deeds and if you can visualize it you see it's like a courtroom but a little different maybe uh, than a standard courtroom because in this courtroom uh, there will only be the convicted one and the judge about to pronounce a sentence there will not be a jury there won't be a defense Attorney, No dream team could get you off the hook uh, because there is no defense. These books are testimony against the one who has, in essence, insisted 
on being judged according to his deeds. And the purpose of this uh, judicial proceeding is not to hear a defense or a plea at this time. No, it is only to assign uh, that person's ultimate sentence. There is no possibility of pardon at this time. It is too late. It's only the time when the sentence it is pronounced. There is a time when it will be absolutely too late for a pardon. In this scene, the great white throne, and it's great because it's the ultimate judgment. And it's white because it's untainted by anything that might otherwise corrupt it. And it's a throne because it's a symbol of ultimate authority. And so at this particular time, no pardon, no plea, no defense. According to one's deeds, the judge seated on the throne will put down his, figuratively speaking, gavel and say, guilty, condemned according to your own misdeeds. Look, I have to tell you, it's a horrifying reality. Uh, I, I, I don't plan on being there. Uh, Nobody here has to. It's only a reality for one who refuses to have their, uh, to have God's case against them dismissed. See, I fully expect <laughs> when I stand before holy God uh, to be treated as a redeemed son and not a convicted criminal. Not, not, not that I don't deserve to be judged, but I've accepted the fact that the full outpouring of God's holy judgment uh, already befell uh, the one greater than me, the one God and mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so, case dismissed. This is only a horrifying reality, don't you see, for those who have refused to accept the pardon offered freely by the judge. But anyone's name can be inscribed in the book of life. Anyone who says, I have sinned, I have transgressed, would you please remove my name uh, from the book of misdeeds and inscribe my name in the book of life. See, that kind of decision can be made now, I have to tell you, even as you sit here, but it cannot be made then. It is too late when one stands before the white throne judgment. It is too late. But let me make this clear because I don't think I made it clear. And some of you asked me such good questions. I might have given the impression that Christians will stand before the Lord for judgment and for the dissemination of eternal punishment at the great white throne judgment. And so you forgive me if I confused you. Let me clarify by starting at the beginning. Uh, the next great prophetic event, uh, the next great prophetic peak in God's mountain range is the rapture. It could take place at any time. Uh, therefore, we are to act as if it literally could happen at any moment because it's true. Now, this return of the Lord Jesus uh, is for uh, his people, for the church and nobody else. We're caught up in the air, uh, thus to be with the Lord forevermore. Sometime after this follows this place of judgment. 
this one, the judgment seat, is for Christians. That one, the great white throne judgment, is for non-Christians. Uh, this judgment seat, which is for Christians, has to do with the dissemination of rewards. But that one, the great white throne judgment, which is for non-Christians, has to do with the dissemination of punishment. Can you see the difference there? So you forgive me if I confuse you, but no, if you have allowed your sin to be judged on the cross by the perfect one, the Lord Jesus, uh, then you will not stand before him at the great white throne. Look, folks, here's the deal. If you know him now as savior, you will not have to worry knowing him then as judge. You see it? That's the way it is. And so I love passages of Scripture which bring this home because we get a little insecure, don't we? So I love Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now here's the condition. Uh, not for those who try harder, for those who make amends, for those who say I'll never do it again. No, no. there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you see? I'm looking forward, aren't you? to seeing the Lord Jesus face to face. I'm not fearing his response to me. I know him now as Savior and therefore don't fear standing before him then as judge. And then there are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. And I, I memorized this. I, I tried to. I'm, it's, it's getting harder and harder for me to memorize things. That's what happens, I guess, when you get older. But I still try. And if you choose to memorize this first, uh, you not only will be secure in your uh, salvation. Do you know you'll be able to introduce someone to Christ just with this one verse? John five twenty four. You look at the screen. Tell me if I got it right. I'm not going to cheat. Uh, you can memorize it too. Truly, truly. Is that how it goes? Hey, that's important. You know, the Lord doesn't waste words. Truly, truly, it's for emphasis. Make no mistake about it, says he. This is true. Have no, don't be doubtful about it. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Did I get it right? Hey, let me encourage you to memorize it. Look, look, look. Truly, truly, I, that's the Lord Jesus, say to you, you know what I like to do with someone who doesn't know the Lord? I say, can I put your name in there? Truly, truly, I say to Stuart, if Stuart would hear my word, the gospel, the good news of redemption in Christ Jesus, and believe him who sent me as the enfleshed one who came to suffer and die on a cross, he who hears and believes has eternal life. And then to spell it out, you see, he avoids judgment. And that's why I can tell you with great confidence and assurance, I'm not going to stand before uh, the Lord at the great white throne judgment because John 5, 24 told me, if I hear, I heard and believe. Oh, I believe. I have inherited eternal life. And not only that... I'll not be judged, but I have passed from death. It's an eternal kind of dying and into an eternal kind of living. Can you see it? He who hears, he who believes, inherits, this is positive, eternal life, and misses out on a little negative judgment and eternal death. 
Hey, let me encourage you to memorize John 5, 24. If you're a little bored, you can do it right now. It'll be worth it all. Then ask God to give you a chance to share it with some. You know what you could do? You could send this in a letter to a friend. You could say, maybe you're a little sheepish about evangelism. That's okay. Do it in a letter. You could say, I've known you for a long time. There's something I haven't expressed to you. And I want to share something. This is a verse in the Bible. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think about them. I'd be interested. And then you can just write out John 5, 24. And you could say, these steps you see have led me to be an heir of eternal life. I have heard and I have believed that God himself sent his son to suffer and die on a cross for me. And therefore I know, because I've accepted him as my substitute on the cross, he has been judged for my sin, I'll pass out of judgment and have life forevermore. And then you could just say, I'm interested, what do you think? You see? Then you could do that. And then you could pray that God would use this one verse of Scripture with potent truth to actually soften the heart of someone and usher them into the kingdom just as you and I have been redeemed by this good news message. So therefore, listen, don't be afraid of the future. Don't you see, if you've accepted Christ as Savior here and now in the present, your future is taken care of. You pass over the great white throne judgment and your eternal state, I'll tell you about it in weeks to come. But it's not the great white throne judgment. Now, folks, you do not want to be a part of what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. Here we read some more about it now in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them. Look at that haunting phrase. Now it's the second time. According to their deeds. Look, if one rejects the redemptive deed of Christ, then one has to stand before him on the basis of his own deeds. If one rejects the merit of Christ. Then one has to stand before him at the great white throne judgment in accordance with his own merits. This is not a good deal. I have to tell you something. There's not a person in here who has even lived up to his or her own personal standards, let alone the holy, lofty standards of God. So folks, you... You don't want, look, if you refuse what Christ has done for you, you will be judged according to what you have done. I don't want to be judged according to what I have done. I don't want God to be fair. I don't want him to give me what I deserve. I need him to be merciful and gracious. I need him to be forgiving. I need him to look past my defiled and corrupt, rather sin-sick character. And on the basis of his holy, merciful, gracious, forgiving, long-suffering character, I need him to give me a pardon. And that's exactly what he did in Christ Jesus. Why would anyone refuse the pardon which is freely offered us? I don't understand it.
Well, 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 folks, uh, the passage says that one day folks will be summoned, and it's an unavoidable thing. Everyone will be summoned, those apart from Christ, to give an account, you see, for the way they have lived, and they will be summoned to stand before him. That's the great white throne judgment. It's an unavoidable kind of a thing. And holy God will see to it, and so that's what we've read about, that even the sea will give up its dead. So here's the picture. The sea was quite mysterious for ancient people. It was... uh, it was um, thought to be dark and uh, threatening. And if someone died at sea, uh, well, well the, the sea would have enveloped and swallowed up that person and the body would have decomposed. And John here, under inspiration, tells us, um, but the sea will give up even that person. And God can summon even that person to stand before the great white throne judgment. And not only that, it says, even death and Hades will give up the dead which were in them. Hades uh, was thought to be the um, temporary uh, place of the unsaved dead. Uh, They would be alive, but in darkness, the place of the dead, Hades, uh, a place where they would be conscious of what's going on, So it would be a place of conscious torment, but temporary. Hades is not hell, which is a place, a literal place of conscious, eternal torment. So when this says that Hades will give up its dead, it's just a temporary place until those who have died outside of Christ are summoned Uh, to appear before him at the great white throne judgment and there be sentenced to an eternity, not a temporary period of time, an eternity of conscious torment. And that is what we call hell. You know, uh, even as I speak about this, I think that perhaps uh, one of the most uh, effective um, lies and deceptions of the father of lies, also referred to as the deceiver, Satan, um, is that this is not going to happen. There is no ultimate day of reckoning. There is no hell. It's just not going to... I think this is one of the most successful deceptions of the evil one. And I know it's working because most people are living as if they won't have to give an accounting one day before Almighty. Do you know some people actually fool themselves into thinking that they could sin in secret? How could it be if God, by definition, is omnipresent and omniscient all places at the same time and knowing all things? There's no such thing as a secret sin. Good night. You're on display. So this terrible deception Um, you know eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die that's it no and it is appointed for everybody to die once and after this comes judgment don't you see so so in fact there's actually a name for this eternal state of conscious forever torment you can see it here look at the next verse revelation 20 verse 15 And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, look, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
Folks, the lake of fire is hell. Let me give you an image uh, of hell that comes from ancient history. In Israel, there aren't many bodies of water. A very prominent water feature in the southern part of Israel is called the Dead Sea. Some of you have been there. Dead Sea. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing can grow in it because of its astoundingly high mineral content, mostly salt. So much salt is in the Dead Sea, for instance, that even if you can't swim, you will not succeed in going under. It's going to force you to float above the surface because of the salt content. In ancient times and even today, sometimes crude oil from beneath the surface of the Dead Sea would rise to the surface and take the form of tar. You still see it. There are tar pits in Israel today. And when there was a a storm and lightning hit the crude oil, which was now flammable tar on the surface of the Dead Sea, don't you see? We set the whole thing on fire. And the ancients, therefore, called the Dead Sea the Lake of Fire. The ancients called it the Lake of Fire. What's the picture? Look, imagine being caught in the Dead Sea during a lightning storm. It hits, it sets it on fire. You're in it. You can't stick your head above the water because it's on fire. So you try to dip your head below it so as to give yourself even a brief period of relief from the flames. But you cannot succeed in dipping your head below it because of the buoyancy of it. It keeps you up. So the lake of fire is an image of conscious torment without the possibility of relief. That's hell. Unending torment. I don't think I have the capacity uh, to overstate just how hellacious it is. Don't buy into the fiction that it isn't a reality. It is. It's the lake of fire. Look, I know what you're thinking, some of you. How could a loving God do this? And if you're not thinking it, some of your acquaintances are. How could a loving God do this? Well, folks, a loving God has not done this. A sinning person has done this to himself. A sinning person has brought this upon himself. Folks, in order to get To the lake of fire, a person has to reject a loving God who has provided a way to avoid it. In order to get to the lake of fire, a person has to reject the pardon offered by a loving God. In order to get to the lake of fire, a person has to reject the good news message. In order to get to the lake of fire, a person has to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made himself, no, look, 
Would you back up with me way before the rapture? Way before. We're back here in Old Testament days and times, and God has a spokesman to talk to people about their total depravity, about their sin against the holy God, and about a coming Messiah. And so God was already busy at work giving them the message of condemnation and about how righteousness would be reckoned to them on the basis of faith and not deeds. It's so a way before the rapture of communicating God has been in the redemptive business. And then you have the rapture of the church, which is going to come. Good night. Don't you think that's going to be quite a sign and wonder? Don't you think that should serve the purpose of getting the attention of unsaved people. Holy moly! Maybe it's true what those fanatical Christians have told me. They ain't around. I don't see them. Then after the judgment seat, you got this terrible character, Antichrist. We know when he's going to be doing his thing, when everyone starts following him and listening to his rather empty promises. And you'll know the beginning of the period he loves, the tribulation, because it will commence with the signing of a peace treaty. He'll get Israel to sign a peace treaty in the Middle East, but it's false peace because about midway in the tribulation, he'll break his peace covenant. He'll want to receive worship in the temple, which will stand in the tribulation. He'll want to replace the God on high and be like the most high God. Don't you think people alive then are going to have plenty of opportunity to accept the Lord Jesus? But some, no, many will take the mark of identification with the beastly human instead of with the merciful Lord Jesus Christ. They will refuse to be sealed by his Holy Spirit and instead take the mark of the beast. And then at the end of the tribulation, there's this horrible war involving the nations of the world. And if God didn't intervene for the sake of the elect, no one would survive. It's Armageddon. And it comes to an end with the glorious coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, not to stop in mid air. Oh no, he's come for his church. Here he comes back with his church. He sets foot on earth and ushers in this unbelievable period. Thousand years characterized by the reversal of animosities even in the natural realm. So the lion will lie down with the bear. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. They will no longer make war. Don't you think people are having an opportunity to see the veracity of the biblical record through all of this? Let's not blame the lake of fire on God. He's done everything imaginable to keep people from putting themselves there. It's not a loving God who sends anyone to the lake of fire. It's a hard-hearted, stiff-necked sinner who says, I would rather choose eternal separation from you than to bow before you. I'm telling you, if you don't bow before Jesus as Savior now, you will stand before him as judge then. That's the way it is. Don't buy this baloney that a loving God wouldn't have a place like this. A holy God can't avoid having a place like this. Would you have God compromise his holy nature to satisfy your notion of what love is? 
that just shows you and I holiness doesn't mean that much to us. If God would remain undiminished in his holiness, there must be a judgment for unholiness. But he's so undiminished in his love, he satisfied the requirement even of the law which we broke by taking on flesh himself. This isn't about church. This is about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came incarnate to suffer and die for us, thus satisfying the righteous requirements of a holy God and also the unbridled, inexpressible compassion of a loving God. That's what the cross did. Here is the justice of God. Here is the pardon of God. And they come together on the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't buy this baloney. God is good. He would never have a place called hell. Jimmy Carter believes that. I don't look to him for my theology. You shouldn't either. Here is the biblical record. It is spelled out clearly. Folks, in order to get to the lake of fire, you have to ignore every opportunity a redemptive God has given you to avoid it. Don't blame it on him. You chose it. Do you know there is no deed, no deeds, no righteousnesses, no virtue, no merit that you could ever offer a holy God to secure your eternity in heaven. It's only confidence in. It's only faith in the one deed done by the perfect God-man, the man, uh, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died in our place. That's the only deed that will get God's attention. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. Isn't that true? Let's not blame this on God. He's done every. He didn't withhold his most precious only begotten son to keep us from going to the lake of fire. Nobody goes there who hasn't in essence chosen it. Why not choose instead to be inscribed in the book of life? Could I leave you with this haunting question? Can you think of a good reason to refuse God's gift of eternal life? Maybe you have one. I'd sure like to know about it. Can you think of a good reason to refuse God's gift of eternal life? Could I ask you to come share it with me privately? Maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe you could make a good argument. I'd like to know. You know, help me. Maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm blind and deceived. I don't know. Maybe you are. This is an important issue. Can you think of a good reason to refuse God's gift of eternal life? Oh, I'd love to chat with you. Let's talk. It's important. You know, uh, I was riding in the car this morning. You know, I was thinking about all this. And uh, I was just overwhelmed once again by the fact, oh my goodness. I'm going to live with the Lord Jesus forever. I, suddenly, nothing mattered. Uh, not the weather, not the traffic, not the, I don't, not the economy. Not, suddenly, nothing Suddenly, I was overwhelmed by the reality. Oh, man, 
my future is determined and sure because in the present I've accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior. You know, when we call him Savior, it means he saved us. You ever think about saved us from what? It just occurred to me, oh, man. Yeah, he saved us from the lake of fire. Don't you see? Really good, really good. So, Lord Jesus, you know, our hearts are filled with what you've done. We don't, it's overwhelming. Uh, The answer to the why did you do this is is to be found in who you are. It's your nature to be redemptive, to be merciful, to be forgiving, and to be holy. It's your nature to connect, to extend, to reveal, to reach out. Though you're transcendent, you also came near. Oh, God, you came near through your only begotten Son. And in uh, the power of your Spirit, would you please powerfully and strongly and authentically be all over the one or the two or the three? I don't know here tonight uh, who are literally choosing the lake of fire as over against inscription in the book of life. One might ask, how could a loving God forever send someone away? But the better question is, How could someone now send you away? So I pray it wouldn't be the case with anyone here. Please overwhelm them. Save the ones who are yet unsaved. Before you desire none to perish, but for all to be saved. Thank you for being Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.